You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Well, I'm Kyle, um, pastor here. Um, and just, just by way of reminder, uh, if you're new here and uh, perhaps you strolled in because of Google this morning, I'd love to just meet you, shake your hand if that's appropriate. Uh, we could do so, like Jim said, there's that time, that 10 minutes where we just get together afterwards up there in the lobby. But uh, if you don't find me here, because I'm, afterwards I, I really do, like Jim said, we want to be a, a community that actually prays with and for one another. So I'll, I'll, I'll be up here like I want to receive you in your prayers. Um, so if you're like, oh, I did want to meet you, but you're there and I, that's uncomfortable, so I left. Um, know this, Kyle at thegatewaychurch.com. That's not like a uh, selfish like, plug. It's just if you want to connect, <laughs> I want to connect with you too. So Kyle at thegatewaychurch.com, you email me and uh, I'll make sure that we do some connecting here in the new year. Um, but just as, as we kind of prepare our hearts to receive God's word this morning, um, if you would, uh, pray with me. God, unless you, through the power of your spirit, move, we will simply not hear. Unless you kind of shake loose our hearts this morning, I just these words here, they will not suffice to wake us up from death to life, to help us see in the darkness of our hearts. And so you have said that the light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so we just pray this morning, Jesus, would your mercy come to us? Would you help us to receive it? We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So uh, today we move into the fourth and final Sunday of the Advent season. And to mark this moment, uh, we, we've just lit the love candle, which if, you wondering, uh, if you're wondering like what was happening when Whitney was lighting the candles, it's, it's hope and peace and joy and now love that are marking this season. And yet this is kind of an odd thing because Advent is also the season where we wait where we wait with this longing for the coming of Jesus. He's not here yet. And as much as the songs and the carols would lead us to believe, he's not yet come. That's on, on Tuesday at 3.30. We'll be here celebrating that. Uh, but it's not here yet. And yet there's this tension because how in the midst of waiting do we feel love? And then like right before we lit the love candle, there was this weird passage from the Old Testament, apparently from a prophet Isaiah, and there's like Kurds and kings and Emmanuel. I know that I sang a song about it this week, but now we're going to hear a sermon on this. Like what, are you sure that you knew this was all happening? Might be the question you're asking. Like, doesn't this seem a bit mismatched that love and this weird Old Testament passage would be happening? And at first blush, I totally get that, uh, that it would seem that way. But do you remember those, uh, they're, they're like those pictures where it'd be a bunch of like dots on a page and then you would look and then like a shark would jump out at you. You remember those, those magic images or perhaps a more famous one, you would see, you'd see this image that's gonna come up behind me here. It's the old lady and the young lady. So which one do you see? Old lady, young lady. By the way, I'm gonna ask questions. This is, if you're new, I'll ask questions and you can respond. Young lady, old lady. Okay, so, so uh, whether you see both or one or just the other, okay, um, that's what's happening today. Weird Old Testament passage, lighting of the love candle, what in the heck is going on? Um, this is what is gonna happen here. Like when we see this come together, 
It's going to be, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see the old lady and the young lady, please take the picture down because people aren't listening. Aaron, help me out. Um, uh, once we see it come together, you can't unsee it. So that, that's what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to map out through and with Isaiah what in the world is going on, why we've lit a love candle here on the fourth Sunday of Advent. And to get us there, here's this little story. And you may know this story if you grew up in the church or anything, but uh, thousands of years ago, there was this man. And this man lived in a city not too dissimilar from our own. So, uh, and by that, I just mean uh, people are really just interested in their own self-advancement. It's, it's kind of, it's multicultural. It's just another pagan city on the map. And this man in this city hears a voice come to him. And this voice comes to him and invites him to go to an unknown land. Now, this is odd if a voice comes to you and invites you to go to an unknown land. But at this moment, this man, he decides to obey this voice. And in the midst of this, this voice has, has told this man uh, that there would be blessing in his going to this unknown land. And so the man, he chooses to obey the voice and, and set out. And now, um, along the way, this man he realizes that the voice that's coming to him is in fact the voice of the creator God. And that as such, he can trust who this God is and what he's saying to him, that he can receive the promises and the blessings that he's offering. And so he goes. He goes to the unknown land. And when he gets to this unknown land, he's, he's actually starting to doubt. He's starting to lose trust. He's weary from his travels and he he doesn't know, goodness, is this, is this voice trustworthy? And so one night, this voice, who is God's very self, comes to him. And the words that come to him are, fear not. And he, and he goes on, he says, I will protect you. And to quote, he says, I will be your shield. Fear not, I will be your shield. And in the midst of this statement, this declaration to this man who was weary, waiting upon the promises of God, feared not. And then he says, go outside. And I want you to look up. I want you to number the stars. Fear not. Go, number the stars. And this is just paraphrasing. God says to this man, this is how many kids you're going to have. And for this man, this comes as a great shock because he's like really old and his, he and his wife have struggled with infertility for years. And so as extravagant as this may be, this man's basically given up on ever having kids. And yet he chooses once again as God's word comes to him, fear not to receive God's word because God as he brings him out, he says, this is how many kids you're going to have. And he begins then talking about the generations that are going to come from him, that God actually intends through this man and his offspring to bless all the nations of the earth. And once again, even though this is quite astounding and he's like really like super wrinkly old, um, he, he decides, no, this, I'm going to choose to trust this God. And, and in response to that, or, or I don't know how it really goes down, but God decides to make a covenant with this man. And now we just need to pause right here from our story and unpack this word covenant, because for most of us, when we hear covenant, it's in like churchy contexts like this, or you're reading along in the Old Testament and you're like, huh? And you just keep going. Or maybe, just maybe sometimes you hear the word covenant in a marriage. 
And so it's kind of an odd term. And generally when, uh, when we hear it, our minds go to contract and it's kind of like that. It's certainly nothing less than that, but it's far more. And so God decides to make a covenant with this man. And in the ancient Near East, which is the time and the setting of our story, this, this covenant would be made with all sorts of people. So you would have one family making a covenant with another family. You would have friends. You have, even in the scriptures, you have uh, David and Jonathan, these two friends making a covenant, binding themselves to one another. So you have covenants with all sorts of people. But it was often the case that in these covenants, as, as one party wants to bind itself to another, that they would be unequal. So you'd have a, a large nation binding itself in like maybe for protection with a smaller one or a queen with her servants. Or in this case, you would have God with this man. And just so we're clear, like God didn't have to. Like he didn't have to make a covenant with this man. He, he's choosing to. He could have simply said like, I am the most high God Obey or I shall smite thee. And I guess in my mind, uh, God like talks in the King James. So um, he's, he could say that because he's God. And yet, that's not how God rolls. Um, he's not interested in manipulative power politics. No, he wants to bind himself to this man in a union of trust. And to mark this union, to mark this covenant, God asks this man to go get a bunch of animals and to cut them in half. And if you're like, whoa, pump the brakes, Kyle. What? Um, like the covenant thing was weird. The voice was weird. And now you're talking about animals getting cut in half. Okay, just st stay with me here. So a covenant would have in it these promises. And, and in the keeping of these promises, there would be blessings. And in the breaking of these promises, there would be curses. And so what people would do in this context is they would actually put things on the line. And you have to think, heifers and goats and sheep and birds, there's all like markers of commerce. It actually, it's a great cost to lay down the life of an animal. And so these part, they would do this and they would go and they would take the animals and they would cut them in two. And then both parties, they would, they would walk through the carcasses. They would pass through the blood as if to symbolically enact this covenant and to say, if I break the terms of this covenant, may it be done to me as well. Could you, like, could you imagine if this is what we did at a marriage ceremony? Like, just picture, like, maybe you have, like, hopes of getting married one day. Please, please ask me, like, hey, Kyle, this is what I was thinking. We just, we get a couple carcasses, right? And then when we say, I like, we'll just stroll right through. It's going to be beautiful. People are going to love it. Yeah, this is, this is super weird. But do you see like how, like that this is a weighty deal. This, this is no small thing. And so when we pick back up with the story, the, the man has actually aligned the, the, he's done the work, he's cut them, and he's about to pass through them to mark this covenant. And I don't know if he's like super tired from, I, I don't have a lot of practice in like butchering animals and stuff, but I'm imagining that if you carry a cow and you cut it in half, it, you're like sleepy. So this guy, he falls asleep and then he dreams this dream. And wouldn't you know it, like God is there in the midst of this dream. 
And as he's dreaming, this, this voice who is God comes to him and he begins to talk about the blessing again and how he's gonna, it's like this hyper blessing. He's, I'm gonna bless those who bless you. And, and from one generation to another, it's just this hyper blessing God's pouring out. And then if it's not weird enough because of the covenant and the blood and stuff, um, and then the dream, yeah, because that's normal, then it, it gets better. Uh, God shows up in the dream, not just as a voice, but as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. How are we doing? Doing good? And then God alone passes through the carcasses. And then he wakes up. And if you're like, Kyle, what in the world does this have to do with a weird passage from the Old Testament with kings and Kurds and Emmanuel and the lighting of the love candle? We're getting there. See, See, what God did in that moment for this man is he took the entirety of the curse upon himself so that this man and his descendants could walk in blessing. And wouldn't wouldn't you believe it to be true that this was nothing new for this God? In fact, thousands of years before this moment even went down, like the reason this went down was because before this ever happened, God made another promise about generations and blessings and an offspring. But this time he didn't make a promise to uh, like a man, he made it to a woman. And he didn't make this promise in, an, in like an unknown land under the stars. He made this promise in a garden under great distress. And to this woman, God says that the thing that is crushing you right now, the very thing, the evil that has just crushed you, a descendant will come from you and crush the head of that serpent. And ultimately, the evil that has overcome you will be overcome. So once again, what in the world does this weird story with blood and guts and promises have to do with baby Jesus? Well, remember, that's Tuesday, 3.30, here, baby Jesus. But right now, if you didn't catch on, this whole story, this whole thing is about God's commitment in the face of fear. It's about God's willingness to bind himself to a people. See, when the word of the Lord came to this man, it was, fear not, I will be your shield. I will protect you. And then he brought him out under the stars. Then he spoke promises and blessings over him. Then he stood ready and willing to walk through the blood to take the curse upon himself. But first, it was fear not. I will be your shield. And what's beautiful is that this God who's speaking these words to this man shows up in our text. In the passage immediately preceding our teaching text today, this God shows up. And so if you haven't already, flip or tap your way on over to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is in the Old Testament, so if you have your phone you can just like get there quick. But if you have one of these Bibles with paper, um, table of contents, it's beautiful. Um, so this is, this is the passage immediately preceding our teaching text. And this God who spoke these words of promises says this in Isaiah chapter seven, verse three. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. And then basically he gives him like divine directions to go out to the well, but jump down to verse four. Go out to meet Ahaz and say to him, be careful, be quiet, 
do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Just stop right there. So I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the God that we encounter in the scriptures, he's not absent-minded. I don't know what your experience of God is this week or if you're even like, consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but the God that we encounter in the scriptures is not absent-minded. So whatever caricature you have in your mind, just put that aside for a moment. And let's do business with the God who we see here. You see, like part of the reason we actually come to this thing, that we come to the scriptures and hold it as, like a, as a position of authority over our lives is, is because we want to encounter the God who we find in here. We, we come to the scriptures, we discipline ourselves in this rhythm of gathering together. Like there are so many better things you could be doing right now. The brunch in Des Moines is legit. You could be at St. Kilda's like just kill it. You could, there's so many better things to be doing. And yet we discipline ourselves to gather together with one another to submit ourselves to, to what the God of the cosmos would have to say to us. So we come to this to behold the character of God. And we hope and we trust that he actually will follow through on his word. Just th that's why you might be here this morning. I, I don't know what your motives are, but that's why I'm here. Like I, I need to encounter this God afresh. And so let's just, if we, if we will, maybe you're like confused on now actually why you came and why you're not at brunch. So let's just take Ahaz, for example. So in our passage, uh, which is uh, verses 10 through 16, you remember, like, uh, the Bible functions as this uh, beautiful work of literary art where there's this massive meta narrative taking place. And in these stories that we open up, like, if you just popped into Isaiah 7, there's a bunch of stuff that happened before it and a bunch of stuff that's going to happen after. It's just a, a, a little, uh, that one was for free. It's a little Bible reading tip for you. Um, so context matters. So in the context of our passage here, there's this regional military conflict a-brewing. There's going to be a map. Boom. So all of these nations around, is around Judah. So you have, uh, you have Moab down, which is actually going to be like Edom. Wait, hold on a second. I might have put the wrong map in here, folks. Let's see here. Let's look. Let's do a little geography. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hot sec. Okay, yeah. So you have the kingdom of Judah right there. And you can't see it, but Edom is going to be just south of Moab. And then you're going to have uh, like Philistia over there uh, close to the Mediterranean Sea. You got kingdom of Israel. You got Ammon. And then the great kingdom of Assyria, which is way up there at the top. All of these nations pose a very real threat to Judah, to the house of David. Now, this is the place that King Ahaz sits. And he does so as a 20-year-old king. Now, let me just pause for a moment from the sermon. And uh, maybe you're not there yet, but just imagine if you could your 20-year-old self. Think about how you, uh, how you handled stress. You got it? Like, I'm thinking for me, it was like, okay, maybe exams, work, some family stuff. Ahaz has two nations who are now coming together to make war against him. Just listen to how Isaiah the prophet describes Ahaz. This is chapter 7, verse 2. It says, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. 
Like, you're darn right. <laughs> like, if any of us had the prospect of foreign nations coming and weighing upon us, our hearts would, they would shake like trees shaken by the wind. And so the prospect of these armies marching against him, it's this intense pressure. But I imagine that much like today, it wouldn't just be this tension from without, like these foreign invaders, but it would be from within. It would be the people of Judah. And I, so I had this little thought experiment that, I mean, what if they had Twitter? What if the Judahites had had Twitter and they, they heard because uh, the, the ruler of the Northern Kingdom was like live tweeting all of these meetings he was having with, with Iran. And so it's just like, they're like, oh my gosh. So all of these people would then start blowing up Ahaz's Twitter feed and they would start attacking his character. They would say, hey, uh, you need to bolster your national security. Build a wall, Ahaz, get after it. Like, and then he didn't, like maybe it wasn't quick enough or whatever. And then they would say, you know what we need to do? We need to like, do we have this impeachment? We need to, let's get him down. Let's do this. Is it too soon for that? No? Okay. Just appropriately uncomfortable? Good. So, so what we could say is that there is fear brooding without and there's fear brooding within. And in the midst of this whole thing, the word that shaped the contours of the cosmos, the word of the Lord comes to Ahaz and just look again at verse four at what Yahweh says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. See, it's almost as if this God is more concerned with Ahaz's heart amidst the circumstances than he is with the circumstances themselves. It's like he actually attends to the person who is Ahaz and not just all the happenings of his life. And I think if we're willing to be honest that these words can feel as vacant to us, that is unoccupied, empty, as they did to Ahaz. Because I, I think that in the face of fear, we want God to fix our problems more than we want God to be with us in our problems. And this, that's not really a point that you get an amen verbally, but I just, like, if, th this, is, this is true for me. And so ever so gently, um, I just want to lean in here. And I know, I get it, like we're not Ahaz, but we're human. And our circumstances aren't the same, but the feelings of fear, those feelings of angst, those feelings are the same. Those are, those are true across the human experience. And so in this fourth Sunday of Advent, like where we're waiting, we're like waiting for the coming of King Jesus to set all wrong things right think that it's appropriate for us to, just to ask, like, what are we afraid of? So for, for me, uh, if the Enneagram means anything to you, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Um, and so sevens are, are often knows, known as the enthusiasts, happy-go-lucky kind of folk. Um, but beneath that is fear. And beneath the fear is abandonment. And so perhaps you're afraid, like me, of abandonment because so many of our families are marked by divorce, mine included, which means that many of us have actually seen commitments, covenants even, 
like crumble beneath relational stress or infidelity or convenience. And that's not to say that forgiveness is not a reality that we get to step in as we follow Jesus, but still it is a fear. It doesn't eliminate it. And if it's not like our parents or ourselves or our friends, then it's people in the public sphere. It's like on the tabloid as you're getting your groceries, you saw that like Bradgelina, oh no, again? It's like, what's going on? I thought they would make it. Or maybe you're afraid of just being found out. Like if you grew up in churchianity, then there would be this thing looming in the background called your secret sin. It's the thing that maybe right now you, you, you actually think you can keep hidden and you do a really, really good job at it. So you're afraid of being found out. Or, or perhaps you're just afraid of man. Like um, the approval of others, your friends and your family and your coworkers, uh, like how many likes you get on Instagram or fa- like whatever, like th- that approval, those are the actual words that shape your heart and your imagination and your very life, not the word of the Lord. And if it's not that, then here, how about, this seems like a catch-all. How about just finances? Like financial instability. This is, we can probably just breeze past this one, right? Because that's not any of our fears. Um, no, if it's, not, if it's not personal, where we are like, we're unsure of how we're, we're gonna do this thing called living. And let me just say this. If this is you right now, you don't have to like say this publicly, um, but we in the back, like at the, at the table, um, or just like email us, we want to help you. We like set aside monies to do this. This is what the church does. This is called one anothering. <laughs> like if you are struggling to pay your bills, please tell us, but I know Like, I know it takes a lot of courage to do that. But we actually hold space. We budget for this. (laughs) We want want to give that away. But if it's not personal, then it's national. Like, like Bernie is just making a case all the time that he's not a millionaire. Or it's just like, man... The, the political rhetoric seems to just be dripping with stuff about finances. It seems as though it's the thing we focus most of our attention on, like it could be a God, maybe. But this is my point. Whatever your fear may be, fear suffocates. And it suffocates trust and it demands that you seize control. Fear says that God is either unable or unwilling. And because God is either unable or unwilling, then fear continues to speak into your heart and your mind. If he can't do it, you've got to do it. You do it. You do you. In the face of fear, do it. It's a It's a lie. It's a lie being spoken over our hearts by ourselves. And that's precisely why when we come back to Ahaz, we see that God's word comes to him in the midst of fear to comfort and console him because God's not absent-minded. He sees Ahaz and so he assures his heart to to build up trust in the face of fear. But you know, uh, um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but God's word comes to you maybe in a sermon or something like this and it might sound nice for a moment, but then life continues to happen and so nothing. It's like it, you heard it, but you didn't really listen. And that's exactly what's happening here. So jump down to verse 10 with me, because uh, here at the start of our teaching text, yeah, that was all just introduction. Um, at the start of our teaching text, God, now he ups the ante. Like if his word won't comfort Ahaz in his fear, then perhaps a sign will do. So look with me, chapter seven, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol. 
that's the grave, or high as heaven, as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. And right here, like the Lord, Yahweh himself is giving this open invitation to Ahaz, anything that will like take care of that fear, ask for it. If my word is not enough, just ask. I'll give you a sign. By the way, it's pretty rare in the scriptures to find God coming to people to say, ask for a sign. Like just, just saying, hey, the cosmos are your playground. Just go, go wild. Go buck wild, Ahaz. Like ask anything because I want to, I'm here. I'm here with you. I want to build up your confidence. But do you know what Ahaz says? You probably already read down there. Okay, just verse 12. Check it out. I will not ask. Read that again. Actually, if, just re- say this will, with me. I will not ask. Again, loudly. I will not ask. How many times has that been on your lips? I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. You see, at first, Ahaz's response, it, it, it almost seems pious, like maybe even honoring, because after all, he did just quote Deuteronomy 6 back to Isaiah's pro- like. What's going on here? I will not put the Lord. These are on the lips of Jesus. Jesus says this when he's tested in the wilderness. He's like, no, 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 no. Pump the brakes, Satan. I will not put the Lord my God to test. So at first blush, it looks like it's honoring. But when we hear what Isaiah says in verse 13, like it just becomes abundantly clear that these words are not honoring at all, but they're just lip service to God and to his prophet. So check this out in verse 13. And he said, This is Isaiah. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So did you hear it? Did you hear the growing gap between Ahaz and the purposes of God? So back in verse 11, Isaiah came and he said, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Now here in verse 13, he's not counted as one. There's a distance between Isaiah and his God and Ahaz. So I don't know if Ahaz is now like opposed to the will and purposes of God, but there's certainly this growing distance as he says, I will not. But I want us all, I want us to see this this morning, like in the face of fear and in the face of Ahaz's, I will not, God not only extends his word, but then he wants to bring his full self. Like this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. In verse 14, we read this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And before we un- unpack this, like, I just, I just want us to consider this for a moment. Like When God's words of comfort and consolation come to Ahaz, did he not have a choice? Like, I, I just want to say this. If you feel like um, you've been bullied into the kingdom of God, this, like, one, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Uh, but two, the, like, ours is a faith of invitation. Jesus says, come, come to me. Such is true here. There's a choice on offer to receive God's word in trust or to reject it and then seize control. And it would be super tempting to like vilify Ahaz. And he is like a pretty jacked up dude in the scriptures. Uh, but my goodness, like I see more of myself in Ahaz than, than I would like to. 
See, but what this moment in our teaching text presents is, is it presents this opportunity to ask that in the midst of this Advent season, like here, as we just lit the love candle, like where's our heart? And if you feel like, Kyle, like you are asking me too many probing questions, this is Advent, where we sit with our longings and our waitings and our desires and our unmet answered, like where are you, God, is the call of Advent. So where, where's your heart? You said, Kyle, I'm new here. You don't get access to my heart today. I don't care. What about the God of the cosmos? Because it's not about me or Gateway. Like God actually has come to you. His word is here today. And are we gonna be the type of people who receive it and trust or we reject it and seize control on our own terms? That's the sobering question of the scriptures. You say we're here to behold the character of God. That sounds lovely in baby Jesus style. But when we actually meet the God of the cosmos who says, fear not, we actually have to admit that we're afraid. So if you see yourself in the story, like if you're dismissing God's word, or you're like laboring with doubt to receive it, um, I just want us to take this moment to open up our hearts. And maybe there's not enough equity of trust here. Um, I, that's okay. Um, as Nate said this last week, like our doubts and their fears, they're, they're actually meant to drive us into the arms of Jesus, into his arms, not away from him. So if this morning, if this like, if you feel like a lot of discomfort with these words, um, here's my simple invitation. In just a moment, we're gonna like pray these words. And this is just gonna be like a break. Consider this like a, a halftime. If you need to like stand up or something, go for it. You won't offend me. Uh, but we're gonna pray these words. Actually, let's just do this. Everybody just stand up with me. Because um, this is how we as adults learn we need disruption. So if, if this has been you, um, in the quiet of your heart, I just invite you to pray these words with me. God, I am unsure. I'm unsure of your word. I'm afraid that you won't follow through. Help me. Even as these words leave my lips to trust that you see me and meet me in my pain, in my frailty, in my hardness of heart. Help me to see, to know, to trust that you do not, that you will not turn away. Open my heart, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. See, despite Ahaz's resistance, um, see, God, he doesn't only extend an invitation to trust his word, but God chooses to give Ahaz a sign, Emmanuel, to actually give his very self. Do you, do you remember that, that guy who, heards, who heard, heard God's voice? Do you remember him? The one that God chose to bind himself to in a covenant? Well, to this no-name man, God actually gave a name. He gave him the name Abraham. And from him came a people, a, a people who now actually call Ahaz their king. Because you see, the God who passed through the blood and bore the curse of a broken covenant so that Abraham and his descendants could walk in blessing, he now calls out to Ahaz. And by extension, he calls out to us so these passages, what they are, are these giant megaphones calling out to see that God is utterly committed to his people. 
Because he wanted blessing to flow to all nations through Abraham and his descendants. Because he wanted Eve's shame taken away because he wanted to see the head of the serpent crushed. And the word of God that comes to us in the midst of our fear with blessing, with love is on display today. See, the God that came to Eve in the garden and to Abraham under the stars and to Ahaz after him saying, do not fear. He has come to us, but not in a garden and not in a dream or under the stars or on the lips of a prophet, but in flesh and blood in Jesus of Nazareth. Like God's commitment is so fierce to his people, so fierce to his promises that he bound himself in the flesh to be with us and for us. Just in case we forgot, this is Advent. This is what we're waiting for. That's, that's why like the lectionary brings us these weird Old Testament passages because the climax of Advent is God actually coming. It's God in a bod. It's him putting on flesh to a people who are caught in the grips of fear. This is our God gateway who comes to us in our pride, in our brokenness, the whole thing to be for us who we perpetually fail to be. That is the covenant keeping people. Or we could say it like the Apostle John says it in the New Testament. In John chapter one, we read this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is Emmanuel. This, th this is God with us. This is the God who passed through the blood and now stands with and for us in the face of our fear. And, and later on, after John, the apostle Paul, he, he's gonna go on to describe Jesus's life. And he's gonna describe it this way in Romans chapter five. And he says this, he said, God shows his love for us and that we will that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the God who passed through the blood, this is the God that we see in the face of Jesus. And just as God passed through, Jesus did as well. Jesus stands when we simply can't. You see, we, we come to this passage in Isaiah 7 and we light the love candle because today, if God is truly with us, and, and we, as, we as a church, we actually believe that he is. So as, as you're singing these songs, as you're, and by the way, these songs aren't for you, they're for Jesus. So as you sing these songs to Jesus, as, as you love one another, this is, this is actually saying that we believe God has come, that he's not far off, that he's not distant, that he, he's actually attentive to us. 
And so we light this candle because I can't, like, I can't carve animals in half in central campus. But we need to remember that God's love was marked. It's real. It's come to us. So we symbolically enact it to remind ourselves that as we wait, we wait with love. And we display, and this isn't like warm, like hallmark, fuzzy love. This is a love that says, may it be done also to me. If I break the terms of this covenant, may it be done also to me. And our Jesus actually stood where his words led him. He allowed his body to be broken for his blood to be poured out. So he took the curse upon himself so that we could stand in the wake of its blessing. This is the cross. If you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is what we come to remind ourselves. This is the character we behold, our great covenant keeping God in the face of Jesus Messiah. This is him. And yet for some of us, God's faithfulness is laughable. So our life feels bankrupt of his faithfulness. Our hearts are like shaking, like trees blown by the wind. And these words come to us. Once again, John has this to say. As he's writing these letters to churches who need encouragement, just like us, he says this. He says, perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.